Hello and welcome to episode 375 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. You can be LSAT famous, get yourself on an upcoming show by emailing a question or a news item to help at thinkinglsat.com. This show is going to air on Monday, November 7th. Uh, upcoming deadline. Well, the, really, the only one you need to look at is uh, on December 1st. You have to decide whether you're ready to register for the January 2023 LSAT. There's no reason to make that decision in early November. You can wait for late November. Look at your practice test scores. See if you want to register for that test. LSAT.link forward slash dates if you want to see all of those uh, upcoming registration deadlines. Come to my free classes, please. Every other Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, I teach a free class. Uh, many of our paid customers show up, by the way. So if you want to talk to people who have basic or premium or live subscriptions to the Demon, that's a really nice place to do it. Um, on Friday, November 18th, I'm going to teach a class called Financing Your Law School Education. I did a class a few weeks ago called uh, How to Finance Your Law School Applications. This is going to be more about the actual uh, tuition and where money comes from in law school scholarship land. Or, um, so come to that class on Friday, November 18th. Go to lsat.link forward slash Nathan if you want more uh information or to register for that class. You just need a demon free account. Um, today on the show, what do we talk about, Ben? I guess first thing we got that news item. What's the news item? Can we say it in uh, 15 seconds? Yeah. Uh, the logic games for the LSAT are not changing for the foreseeable future. So, <laughs> <laughs> and LSAC is doing a trial in December where you might be able to get $45 worth of free shit. Uh, you could go let them use you as um, testers for the upcoming if they ever make the change. I mean, it, it, they're they're describing it as a long term research effort over many years. And they also keep saying when and if we change the test, you'll have plenty of advance notice. So this is just them testing out future stuff, getting rid of the current logic games and doing like slightly different, simpler, it seems probably uh, analytical reasoning puzzles. Yeah. And uh, you can register for that, but hardly anyone hearing this is going to be doing the new LSAT logic games. I mean, unless you're listening to this way down the road. Yeah. I would say the other highlights of the show today were, um, if you're new <laughs> and you haven't figured this out yet, our two core beliefs are don't go to law school, but if you are going to go, go for free. And we got two emails today that hit on those two ideas really well. One person who did end up going to law school for free and now has their dream job in New York City. And another person who decided not to go to law school and is going to start a dream job when as soon as they graduate. Yeah, two big wins. OK, let's uh, get into it. Yep. So, Ben, uh First thing this morning, we got this email, each of us uh, independently, and we got a couple emails uh, from students with some new news about logic games on the LSAT. Yeah. Should we just read this whole email from Kyle? Um, no, it's kind of a lot. <laughs> uh, what's the what's the headline? I mean, you know, there there is a pretty big headline here, which it, or, or it, it wouldn't be. A, I guess it just wouldn't even be a news story at all. Nothing's going to happen anytime soon. 
Yeah, and that was buried at the end, right? But it's important because people are going to see this and they're going to think, oh, no, the games are changing. And actually, the email says the games are not changing. And if they do change, they're going to send out a huge notice. I'm not surprised by that at all. They did that when they changed comparative reading with the June 2007 LSAT. They gave that to everybody so they could see it before it even came. So, yep, nothing's changing. (laughs) There are many paragraphs. It's the eighth paragraph of the email. And the eighth paragraph says it's important to reiterate that there are no plans to change any part of the LSAT's content in the near future. If and when LSAC decides to incorporate any new question types into the actual LSAT, we will provide lengthy advanced notice, notice, practice questions and explanatory materials prior to LSAC using any new question type in a scored section of the LSAT. That is a long, broken, I think, sentence. But point is, they're not (laughs) doing anything for anytime soon. I mean, they they're still studying it. Okay, and then so then what is the thing that they're actually going to do, Ben? It's happening in December. Yeah. So on December 16 and 17, they are offering a three section test that is only logic games and Two of those sections will be this new format that they're trying out, and one will be the traditional format. I think they're obviously doing that so they can compare how people perform on both, right? And (laughs) Because they know what to expect for the traditional format, so then they can compare your score on the traditional section to the two other sections and decide whether they're legit sections. Yep. But they did say in here... Like you just read that last paragraph, but they said at one point, hey, we've been we've been we've been exploring this for years. Yeah. And kind of plan to continue doing so. It almost sounded like for years. So who knows what's going to happen? The last (laughs) sentence of the first paragraph. This is a long term research effort that we've been working on for several years and will continue for some time. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, it, whatever's happening it ain't happening anytime soon but if you want to see what the you know what they think might be the future of the analytical reasoning section of the lsat you can do this trial um they're gonna give you free shit by the way which uh this was the free shit was not in um this email that kyle sent to us okay uh, but in the email that was forwarded to us by several um, students or several listeners, uh, students and listeners, it did say, let me see, I, I've got it right here. Um, yeah, they're, they're selling it to the students uh, as, you know, you're going to get feedback on your performance on the official analytical reasoning section. Yep. You're going to get your test back. And they say you should get this feedback before the February 2023 administration of the LSAT exclamation point. But the should there does a lot of work. It's not a promise. You know, it's just like, well, I mean, you should exclamation point. You should. Uh, but okay. it's, it's interesting. what kind of feedback are they going to give you other than you got these right or wrong? They're going to give the way, you the answer keys. That's that's it. That's all you're going to get. <laughs> It says feedback on your performance, but then the next sentence says you will get a copy of the section along with correct answers and the answers you provided. It also That's sounded the like feedback. they were going to provide like their interpretation of how to diagram <laughs> like commentary. these games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not, I see that you split worlds here based on this. I think it might be a better idea to split this. No, that's not. No, the they're not going to do that. But I think no. they might provide the kind of feedback they provided in the super prep, right? Which is these 
Like the LSAX attempt at explaining games. Possibly that. I don't know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but then the, the free shit you're going to get if you sign up for this no risk dress rehearsal for uh, the future LSAT logic games that you probably will never actually take because it's looking like this process is going to drag on for years. Um, it already has dragged on for years. Anyway, uh, you get either one free score preview with a value or, of zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that they charge $75 for um, yeah. one free credential assembly service report, which they charge $45 for. I mean, you, you definitely would need that. You're going to yeah. use those. Yep. Uh, a free one year subscription to law school success. Uh, they're they're You know, the new pre-law thing that they told us about. I thought that was included with Law Hub, so I'm confused. Or a free copy of LSAT Super Prep and LSAT Super Prep 2. So printed books. Or? So you pick one of the four? No. Yep. One of the four. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So which one should people pick? (laughs) The $45 uh, fee waiver, right? Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely take the the credential assembly service report. Because... If you apply to 15 schools, you're going to need 15 of those reports. And some of the schools, you'll be able to get them to waive the fee. But um, most of them, maybe probably not. And so, yeah, you're going to you're going to want those. So, yeah, you could get I mean, yeah, you get 45 bucks for goofing around with some games you'll never see on the unscored (laughs) little LSAT logic puzzles. I mean, that's cool. I would do it. You would do it if we were allowed to. But we're not. any licensee or employee of a licensee is not allowed to do it, but everybody else is. Yep. Why? I don't know. Yeah, it is strange. I mean, okay, the, those people are presumably going to do very well on the section. I mean, maybe some of them won't, but of course, presumably they do well and they do well on the traditional games and hopefully they do well on the new ones. And if they didn't, that would be revealing, right? Like, okay, interesting. What does that mean? Yeah. Or, or if it's I mean, it the other seems way. Seems like they could get some. Yeah, seems like they could get some feedback from us, even if they, want, you know, they ask like give us a survey or ask us our opinion or something. But they've, they're, uh, I don't know. Hmm. Okay, so that's happening in December. You can sign up if you want. It doesn't. It's not scored. You're not really going to learn anything of value, but you might save yourself forty five bucks. Yeah. Okay. That was from Kyle McEntee, Senior Director of Pre-Law Solutions at LSAC. We've talked to Kyle on the show before. Thanks, nice. Kyle. Yep. Nice guy. Okay. Uh, this next email here is um, a follow-up about LSAT and IQ. You want to read it? Sure. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I enjoyed your discussion of the relationship of the IQ and the LSAT. I would like, though, to take an opportunity to challenge a premise. Anthony Letter states, IQ measures arise from the observation that if a person performs well on an arbitrarily chosen test, that person is highly likely to perform well on any other arbitrarily chosen test. Okay, that's Anthony's premise. Notwithstanding the fact that IQ measures spatial reasoning, the IQ may nonetheless not fully capture spatial reasoning. I've attached an article from Scientific American which makes the case that IQ test that the IQ test does not adequately emphasize spatial reasoning and which points out wide variability for spatial reasoning among people who do well on the quantitative and verbal aspects of the SAT. 
This matters because analytical reasoning on the LSAT deals with spatial reasoning. Anyways, these are my thoughts. Thanks for the engaging podcast. And then there's a link to the Scientific American article. Uh, okay, what I'm taking away from this is that it, it might not capture one aspect of intelligence act adequately. Yeah, it's it's just a, a note, I guess, that IQ is an imperfect measure. Sure. There are different types of cognitive ability and it only captures, you know, a certain portion of them. That's yeah. Not you know, I, I I'm I want to I guess I understand I, I'm willing to grant in part the premise that analytical reasoning on the LSAT deals with spatial reasoning. I, I will allow that in some cases, I feel like you're using spatial reasoning. But in many cases, you're not using spatial reasoning on the logic games. Sure. You know, there, you're, there you're are using more than just spatial. For well, sure. Like just because we're putting things in order, does that actually mean that we're doing spatial reasoning? Well, I don't exactly know what spatial reasoning is, but sure, there are <laughs> sense. I, I do have a visual reaction to certain things like, oh, that could fit in there or that could not fit in there. That seems spatial, but yeah, there's certainly other types of reasoning going on. You can't even set up a diagram without quantitative or verbal reasoning. Well, it says here, spatial ability defined by a capacity for mentally generating, rotating, and transforming visual images Okay, well then is the one of the three specific cognitive abilities most important for developing expertise. And the other two are quantitative and verbal, which expertise. the SAT explicitly tests. Expertise in what? Oh, well, it said expertise in learning and work settings. So oh, just okay. developing expertise in basically anything. Okay. Requires those three things, according to this article in Scientific America, um, American. Maybe I think we're saying the same thing. I think it does test it to some degree, but it's minimal. Right. You know, as evidenced by the fact that, well, maybe as evidenced by the fact that blind people can actually do these logic games. But then again, if it's a mental generation of a image, like can blind people generate images mentally? I don't know. I would imagine they can, but yeah. Cool. Anyway, we can link to that in the show notes. <laughs> if you want to learn more about IQ uh, and spatial intelligence, we'll we'll have that link in the show notes to uh, Scientific American. Thanks I mean, for sending that in. Yeah. One last comment here. I guess the point of this is to take issue with Anthony's premise. And it does say that Anthony does say that person is highly likely to perform well on any other arbitrarily chosen test. That seems to grant that. Yeah, you might not, though. Maybe maybe um, the point here is that I'm not really sure what to take away from all this, I guess. IQ isn't perfect. That's my takeaway. <laughs> Next one here is from Jeff says, hi, Ben and Nate. I found your podcast back in 2017 when I was studying for the LSAT. I ended up taking Ben's prep course in Washington, D.C. Remember those days? Yeah. Both the pod and the course were really helpful with your guidance. I got a full ride to a decent school and am now happily working at my dream job, colon, public defense in New York. I'm writing to ask a somewhat obscure question. Ben, you once recommended a writing slash style book called something like On Style. I bought it way back when, but I've since lost it and can't remember the exact title. Can you please let me know the name of this writing book that you recommended on the podcast several years ago? Absolutely. 
It's style. I'm looking up the exact title, but it's style by Joseph Williams. The subtitle is toward clarity and grace. But look, you're an attorney. I would just Google all things Ross Guberman. He's got tons of books and he's the world's leading expert on legal writing. So you can find all sorts of stuff on his website. You can find books by him. Uh, you can find books by Brian Garner. That will set you straight in a lot of different ways and specifically for legal writing. There you go. My recommendation is always Stephen King's On Writing. Sounds like Jeff might be confusing those two titles to come yeah. up with on style. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So style, Ross, Go Ross Guberman. What's the other one? Well, so style is by Joseph Williams. And then just Ross Guberman is a legal writing expert. He's the guy I used to work for. Right. And he has tons of books on transactional drafting, but also litigation, brief writing. Um, just look them up and you will find things that can help you. So there we go. Yes, I'd be happy to chat more about my law school and early legal career story. If you are interested, I think I'm a good example of someone who took your advice and did law school right. Best, Jeff. Uh, we would love to have you, Jeff, on the show. That's fantastic. I mean, look, it's it's the best case scenario. You had a full ride and now you have your dream job. So, yeah, poster child for doing it our way. Yeah, and public defense, it's not the same kind of salary as you would make in a big law firm, but you don't need it when you don't have debt or as much debt as you would. Correct. And in full price. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like going into debt wouldn't have helped uh, Jeff get rich. Jeff wants to practice public defense, so he's not getting rich while he's doing that. Might as well avoid the debt. Yeah. Yeah. There are like loan repayment programs, but <laughs> Jeff's not even going to have to bother with all that. Jeff's not going to have to make, you know, qualifying payments for 10 years of his life and watch as the debt continues to climb while he's um, making those payments, waiting yeah. for the miracle uh, loan repayment. Instead, Jeff's just doesn't have the debt already and he can do whatever he wants. And by the way, if you kick ass as a public defender in New York, there's going to be ways that you can make money if you want, like law firms do criminal defense. They want someone from the other side of the table. Yep. Who has well, they want someone who has actually done. They want someone who's actually done trials before. Yeah. Right. Because their their new associates are going to have like no trial experience. So Jeff's going to if he wants, you know, after eight years in the public defender's office, I think it's easy to jump over to uh, private firms, probably at a pretty high level. If he wants yeah, but he doesn't he have wants. to because he doesn't have this debt over right. his head saying, go get a fucking job that pays way more right now and do whatever your boss says. Yeah. Cool, Jeff. Yeah. Um, email us back again and uh, we will uh, set you up for uh, a guest spot. Love to love to talk to you. Great. Thank you, Jeff. You want to read this uh, next one from Hannah? Hi, Ben and Nathan. I am so glad I stumbled upon your podcast and the demon. I officially decided to pursue law school in August of this year and thought I would apply for the 2023 cycle. Okay, super common uh, mistake up front. Before listening to your podcast and advice, I went ahead and signed up for the November test, which I somewhat regret, but whatever. After listening to your podcast and seeing I could earn a full scholarship to my local law school with a 163 LSAT, I decided to start putting in some work with studying and pushing off my law school career to 2024. Great. So glad to hear that. I took my first practice test on 
October 1st and got a 147. I just took my second practice test and got a 159. Okay, nice. 12 points, which I was not expecting after only a month of study. I am over the moon and I know that my potential for a 170 plus is there. I am now shooting for better law schools and will accept nothing less than a full scholarship. In conclusion, you guys are lifesavers. Well, you're at least life changers. All the best, Hannah. Okay, thanks, Hannah. So glad to hear that. It's crazy what a small bit of information can do. <laughs> it's a common story. You know, we have lots of we have lots of folks who come to us who don't know what their real potential is. I mean, they didn't even know Hannah didn't even know she could get a scholarship with a 163. Now she's learned that, you know, not only that, but 163 seems like a number that she's going to be able to just blow right past yeah. with 12 points of improvement in a month. And she's only four points shy of that 163. So now all of a sudden she's shooting for 170 and an, and another higher tier of outcomes. It happens kind of a lot. Like people, yeah. people come to us thinking like, well, if I can get five or six points, that's great. And we're like, no, we want 25 points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's terrific. Thank you, Hannah. Matt Dumont sent in this little item. Um, it says one of my former former tutoring students is in the first cohort of a fully online JD at St. Mary's. And there is a link here to um, a story on Reuters headlined first of its kind online law school draws big applicant pool. And it's talking about how 791 people applied for this and only 27 of them are in the class. They admitted 71 of the 791 who applied a 9% acceptance rate that, according to this author, falls close to top ranked Yale Law School. <laughs> Let's pick one aspect and compare them and say they're similar. <laughs> Matt also uh, says he enjoyed that uh, and he put a LOL there. It's cool, though. You know, like I I uh, I think this is fantastic. Uh, it's in San Antonio, by the way. Not that that matters so much since it's fully online. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, this is how the price of education might change, right? Bring in a technology that makes it extraordinarily cheaper to deliver something similar in quality. It obviously loses the in-person nature and the socializing that comes from that. But that's the point. You're going to have trade-offs. You lose something, but you might gain. Wow, I mean, if they can figure out how to do it right, they could have an astronomically bigger class for the same number of professors. That saves a lot of money, could drop the cost of law school. And they can still socialize. It says here, fully remote St. Mary's students do all their credit bearing co coursework online, though they convened on campus for a three day orientation in August. So you did have to go to San Antonio once three days, get to know your colleagues. And then it says after that, half of the online classes are delivered in real time. I was surprised by this. The other half of the classes are actually only offered asynchronous. Yeah, that is interesting. But Actually, that, it doesn't say only, so maybe it's asynchronous and also in real time. But they could just be asynchronous. 
Well, if it is just asynchronous, that's the kind of class that can be exponentially <laughs> Which, expanded, by the way, right? Which 100% should be the case. Yeah. Like all the 1L classes, the shit where you're like going and looking at the Magna Carta and Blackstone commentary and, you know, sh like shit that never has changed. <laughs> the, why can't all those classes just be recorded? Recorded by the best professors, the ones yeah. who can teach Instead it really ones. well and then yep. just have them <laughs> be put on replay. Yeah. Yeah. And what would end up happening is the students would be like, yeah, yeah, I got it. They're going to watch it on one and a half times speed or two <laughs> times speed. They're going to yeah. get what they need to get out of it. And repeat then go, what they don't understand. Yeah. Go back to the parts they don't understand instead of what emailing the professor and waiting a week to hear back or, you know, like stalking them at their office hours. It It's just it's just obviously way better. If you're going to law school for the social experience, you're going to law school for the entirely wrong reasons anyway. So I will be shocked if this doesn't turn out to be uh, a success. Yeah. It's already cheaper. It says tuition is $27,000. Oh, wait, sorry. No, because it is a four year program. 27,000 times four versus 41,000 times three. It is still cheaper, though. Eh, not really, though. Barely. Yeah, but Barely I think cheaper. I think as the number of people enroll, the need to charge that much will drop. It's going to be wildly more profitable than in person, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And so they yeah, it, if competitors are allowed to enter, this is a special pilot. The, the ABA gave them a five year the authority to do this uh, on a five year pilot yeah. basis. Yeah, but I can't see why this is not going to work. And uh I think people are going to love it and there should be lots more of this coming. I am like a little surprised. Why, <laughs> why is it that the ABA has so much control over how someone gets educated in the law? It's unfortunate. It's like, Oh, it's so big and scary. What if they don't get educated in the right way? I mean, that's already happened. Yeah. It has something to do. It's like ultimately the Supreme court of the United States, right? Yeah. The Supreme court of the United States has authority over how the entire judiciary is run i believe yeah and they I, delegate all the responsibility of course and they delegate a lot of it to the aba and then the aba has a section on legal education hmm. there's an element of protectionism in there though of course it's so. a guild of course yeah, yeah. No, they they claim to be trying to protect the public from you know shady or incompetent lawyers but what they're you know i mean at the same time, like if they keep lawyers, anybody, if anybody that they keep out means that's one less, one fewer competitor that they have to, uh, you know, deal with. Yeah. You know, and then plus there's just this whole, uh, well, scam um, of wildly overpriced law schools. Right. So the, the the ABA, you know, says, well, but you have to go to law school. You know, these accredited programs are three years or, oh, it's going to be online part time. OK, four year program. Mm -hmm. And so that's another hoop that you have to jump through to in order to be able to practice law. But it also is an opportunity for all of these, you know, law schools to come in and do, you know, they do some education, but it's. It's just hard to see where the value is uh, at, at those prices. Yeah. It, it's much more just like a, it's like a tax. It's like a fee that you have to 
pay or not, you know, because if you follow our advice and get a scholarship, then um, like Jeff did above, you're not going to, you know, you don't have to pay anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope they keep going with these online programs. Uh, that seems awesome. Yeah. All right. I think it's you to read this one from James. Dear Ben and Nathan, I was featured on episode 366 asking for advice on whether to study for GMAT or LSAT. Apparently, James had an accounting and finance 4.0 GPA. James continues, I want to inform you that I have decided to delay law school for the foreseeable future. Since I last wrote into the podcast, I have gotten a job offer as a business consultant in Dallas, Texas. This is a life-changing opportunity as I will be making around $100,000 after graduation. Although I scored a 166 on a practice test a couple of weeks ago, I cannot justify denying myself an interesting and well-paying job. As you guys mentioned, have mentioned in the past, I am going to do everything. I am doing everything possible to avoid law school. <laughs> okay. This is a bittersweet moment. I have loved using the demon and will recommend it to anyone interested in taking the LSAT. Best regards, James. Yeah, this is one of our two goals, right? Either don't go or go for free. So this is a win. Yeah, it's like uh, Jeff above. Kick mm -hmm. ass, get a full ride, get your dream job. That's a win. James realized that there's something else that he can do without even going to law school and make $100,000. Sounds like he's going to be happy doing that work. He says it's interesting and well-paying. Interesting and well-paying. That's a good combination. And, uh, you know, 100 grand, by the way, is the average salary for lawyers. Uh, average is a little misleading, right? Some yep. people <laughs> make more than that, but not very many. Most people actually make a lot less. Yeah, most lawyers make less than the average because some people make $220,000 and then there's a hell of a lot of lawyers uh, in the five figure ranges. Yep. So James making more money, not wasting three years in law school. You know, you're 166. That could get you a full ride somewhere. Who gives a shit? You don't want a full ride somewhere. You've already got career possibilities that you seem like you're going to enjoy doing. Yeah, and I hope this is obvious, but even if James did go somewhere for free, they gave him a full tuition scholarship. As you just mentioned, that's still going to take three years of James's life and the cost of living. You're going to have to pay for things. So there's, it's not free. Yeah, and even full ride scholarships probably don't include fees and books and other types of shit that, you know, expenses related to school. Yeah. Plus not going to be making a hundred thousand dollar a year salary as a business consultant while you're doing that. So how are you going to pay your mortgage? Yep. I think that's an excellent, excellent win, James. Cool. I don't think it should be bittersweet. I think you should be just sweet. Real. <laughs> yeah. I think you should be real excited <laughs> about that job opportunity. That's fantastic. And oh, if you can always go back to law school anytime, you know? yeah. Like, Keep study, you know, go sometime in the future, prep a bit more, get a 170 something, go to some real amazing place. Just maybe save up some money if you don't like if you decide you don't like business consulting. They do make a lot of money. Save up a bunch of money before you even start law school to defray those living expenses. Man, you're just going to come out in a much more powerful position than if you 
like impoverish yourself to go to law school now. Yep. Okay, this uh, last one actually came into our other podcast, the LSAT Demon Daily, but we needed uh, more content for this show. So I moved it over here. It's uh, an email from Juan. Okay. Hey guys, hope all's well. I just wanted to reach out because I'm having a bit of a dilemma and all of you are very good at being honest. I started my LSAT study journey in August of this year with a prep course, which wasn't the best. I didn't learn much until I found the demon, which I started, sorry, which I enjoyed starting with a free plan and now with the basic plan. I definitely will upgrade soon because I need more help. Okay. Use the ask button, by the way, um, Juan, anytime with your basic account, you've got an ask button on every single question. And if you need help, you should tell us uh, using that ask button so that we can help you. Anyway, this is my last year of undergrad graduating in May of 2023, but I haven't taken an actual LSAT only practice tests and the score is nowhere near where I want it to be. According to all the LSAT Demon podcasts I've been listening to, I know it's a bit late in the cycle to apply. So would you all recommend I study more, take the January LSAT and still apply for fall 2023? Or should I take the time to study, take the test in June 2023, have a stronger application with a better score and apply early for 2024? Meaning I would be taking a gap year, which I'm already hesitant to do since I didn't go to college right after high school. I was homeless and I had to work instead. I didn't enter college until the age of 21 and I'm now graduating at 25. Being a lawyer is my passion, but I feel I will be late in the game if I wait another year coming from Juan. Where do you want to start, Ben? Well, first of all, you're not going to be late. Not at all. Even if this process takes you three years, four years, and you don't start law school <laughs> until 2027, you're not late. Every year, a new cohort of students start law school. You can be part of any one of those cohorts, and you want to be in the one in which you are most ready for law school, which means you have your best LSAT score, you're going for free, and you're not going to be... <laughs> at the bottom of some class, paying a lot of money and then setting yourself up for failure. Get ready for the competition and go in it winning. Yeah. You only get one chance to launch your legal career. And you want to make sure that you're launching it on a trajectory that's going to, you know, reach. You got to be at escape velocity to like actually make it happen. And the way you're planning on doing it, you know, with this late LSAT and it's not the best, you know, you know, it's not the best you can do late LSAT, low LSAT, late application, bad offers to bad schools, too much debt. Just that's a failure to to really launch. To be clear, you could be applying next fall and going in the fall of 2024 I just said three to four years so you can get your mind like sucked out of the, I don't know, the immediacy of now, right? Yeah, you don't, right. Don't, you shouldn't be thinking about any particular application cycle, Juan. You should be thinking about the LSAT. You should be thinking, I mean, that number, that one number, it just, it, <laughs> it's the most, it's like what version of a uh, rocket fuel you're using yeah. to extend my, uh, my launch analogy. The the LSAT is the like, okay, you want the high octane shit. 
to, and you to want to have enough of it to like, blast off. You could have poor shit and also <laughs> have like half a tank or a quarter of a tank, and then your your rocket's not getting all the way up. It might explode. There's all sorts of problems. Yeah, uh, obviously wait until you have the best LSAT you can achieve. I don't think you should be looking at the June 2023 LSAT particularly. I mean, although you are still in undergrad, so, you know, waiting until like, make sure your grades are awesome. You haven't mentioned that, by the way. Yeah, like, maybe do you have a 4.0 right now. Maybe you should cancel the basic and focus on your GPA. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we'd love to have you Juan. We want to help you as much as we can help you, but you shouldn't be paying us and paying undergrad and getting a B like that would be real dumb. I mean, pay undergrad or hopefully you found a way to finance that. Get A's like get value for your money in your undergrad. That's A's. <laughs> you want A's. That's kind of funny, huh, Ben? Like good grades are like valuable on yep. your transcript. No, no, it's true. If you pay for school and then get C's, <laughs> you just devalued the product you bought. Yeah, you're not getting what you pay for. I mean, you you yeah. paid for like the possibility of A's. So if you get A's, then you're really getting full value for your money. But if you get anything less than A's, then you're just like, I don't know. Yeah, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So get A's. Come back to us when you're ready. If you are getting A's right now and you want to keep studying with us for the LSAT right now, that's great. But you don't need to be looking at any particular LSAT. You need to be looking at your practice test scores and being realistic. Is this the type of score that's going to get me the scholarship that I want to the school that I want to go to? Then when your practice test scores indicate you're ready, you take the official test. And you maybe take the official test two, three, four, five times until you get an official score that really represents the range of scores that you're, you know, you, you want something at or above your like average of your practice test scores to represent you because law schools only care about your highest score. So probably take it multiple times. You, you'd be way, way late here, Juan, if you're only going to take it once and apply right now. You're not a little bit late. You're, you're like you're doing it all wrong. We're talking about a different kind of late, late to this cycle, not late yeah. to law school. You're, you're not even about. particularly early for next cycle. Yeah. I mean, you're fine for next cycle if you work hard at the LSAT you know, as soon as you have time, but if you don't have time right now, because you're not getting A's. And by the way, if you don't have A's right now, then you don't have time for LSAT right now. Uh, if you can't start studying until June, you might, you might probably want to think about pushing it another cycle because yeah. prep takes time. Taking the official test multiple times takes time and you don't want to be forcing it. You don't want to be adding stress to this test. You feel like you're old one, but you're just not even cl close at all. I mean, it's you're like graduating at 25. You're that's kind of like right in the middle of a typical law school class. Wouldn't you say, Ben? Mm -hmm. 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. It's, it's all the same shit. It doesn't. That's the same part of your life. And uh, you're going to practice law for 30, 40 years, probably, if you're a successful lawyer. Imagine this for a half second. Juan sets himself up really good, gets a great LSAT score, but it takes two years, finally lands himself in law school. And then because he's at the top of his class going for free, uh, he does well in school. He starts getting A's in law school. Do you think anyone in his class 
is going to look over at him and whisper to their friend, he's got A's, but you know, he's 20, uh, he's 28. <laughs> if anything, it's the opposite of that. No one is going to talk or even know your age. Yeah, I remember having a vague idea that I was one of the older people in the class and I, and that there were people who were, you know, you can kind of tell people that are definitely K through JD. Yeah, they're young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's people that like they're just clearly 21 or whatever. And yeah, if anything, the the general sentiment, I think, would be kind of like, oh, yeah, OK, that kid. Not not like, oh, look at that old person. No, not at all. Who gives a shit? Old people are wise. I mean, look how old the Supreme Court is. They're so yeah. old. <laughs> our most our most prestiged lawyers are these like 80 year old people. Yeah. yeah. So you you think it's a, a disadvantage to be so old as 25. If anything, it's an advantage to be that old. Yeah. Having a little bit of actual life experience under your belt. Do better in school. You're going to be more. <laughs> Um, mature in your interviews. It's going to lead to better job outcomes. Just good all around. Straight A's. You got to be glad. Yep. GPA first. Straight A's from now on. LSAT second. You really got to get the best LSAT you can possibly achieve. Then you apply. That's after you have all of your official LSATs on record. Then you apply. And D is for decide. Yep. Once you get your decisions back, then you decide whether you're even going to go to law school or not. And maybe you'll make a good decision like James did above and just decide not to go at somewhere, some point in the process. Yeah. But uh, if you're going to go, you really need to do it right. You got to you got to launch yourself with the right LSAT. Super glad you're reaching out, Juan. Uh, let us know if there's any if you have follow ups or whatever. We're, we're happy to help. Great. Wrap it up with a logical reasoning question. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and read it and you respond, eh? Okay. Test 73, section four, question 17. It says, a positive correlation has been found between the amount of soot in the atmosphere of cities and the frequency of a certain ailment among those cities' populations. Yeah, so correlation um, can sometimes point in the direction of causation, Sure. And here, depending on what the ailment is, you know, like, is the ailment black lung? <laughs> <laughs> if the ailment is <laughs> I'm I'm choking to death, then like, uh, yeah, maybe the soot in the I know that the soot in the atmosphere is correlated with black lung. Sure. Well, maybe the soot is causing the black lung. The, correl the correlation by itself would not prove causation. It's important to note that this is the the citation here is only correlation. And if they straight up just immediately conclude causation, then I'm going to go, wait a second, correlation doesn't prove causation. But let's see what they say. Yeah. And I would add to that, and you said this, but I want to double down on it. Correlation does provide evidence or some support for the potential of a causal relationship a there. Like very much so. Yeah. I mean, you know, like gunshot wounds to the head <laughs> probably have a, you know, 90% correlation with death. Yep. Right. Is that also a causal relationship? Fuck yeah, that's a causal relationship, obviously. Yeah. But just, you know, some random correlation here, especially because we don't even know what the ailment is. You know, if the ailment is ingrown toenails, then I'm going to go. Mm. I mean, maybe, but we un less likely, right? Certainly still maybe like I'm not saying it's not the case. I'm just saying 
Like, what's the causal mechanism? How how, yeah. how is soot in the atmosphere causing ingrown toenail? You have to explain it to me. But if it was soot in the atmosphere and people dying of emphysema, you know, some lung related disease, then I might go, well, do I really need to spell it out? They're inhaling the shit and it's bad for their lungs. Yeah. Still, again, not proven, but I think right. the, the the extremes I'm trying to avoid here is that when people start studying for the LSAT, they assume that correlation and causation are the same thing, essentially. And then they learn that they're not and they go to this opposite extreme. They're like, oh, we'll call it correlation means no causation. It's like, what? No, 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 <laughs> no. Correlation <laughs> is like the number one indicator that there might be a causal relationship. Yep. Like when we find correlations, we then investigate, oh, that might be a causal relationship. Of course, we'd also have to decide which way the causation was going. Yep. And whether there's something else going on and there is and no whether there's way. other things, of course. Uh, but uh, but no, like, yeah, obviously, yes. If we find correlations from things which especially when they are like logically potentially related to one another. Yep. You know, then they that could be definitely a causal relationship. You'd have to go study it. Okay. Right. Though the argument continues. However, the soot itself probably does not cause this ailment. Oh, yeah. So they're going correlation, but actually not causation is their conclusion. Probably not. Yep. Probably mm -hmm. not. And I'm going to now expect evidence. Like why? Okay. Yeah. Since in cities where there are large amounts of soot in the air, there are usually also high concentrations of many other air pollutants. Uh, I mean, okay, but uh, you didn't really get the soot off of the hook. No, all you did is introduce a bunch of other possibilities, right? Yeah. Which does cast doubt on the possibility that it's the soot, but it doesn't, we still don't know the probability of that. Yeah, the the defense, it's, it's a defense where it's like trying to introduce doubt, you know? Um, well, there were all these other suspects who were at the scene of the crime is essentially yep. what that's doing. Yep. You know, anytime this ailment um, or sorry, anytime there's a lot of soot there, there's also all this other stuff. So how could it possibly be, you know, how can we prove the soot did it? it and they, but they actually do go a step too far here saying it's probably not the soot because yeah. there's all these other air pollutants. They should well, have said might not, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, well, because that's kind of like saying, well, it's probably not the bullet in his head that killed him because, you know, there's all these uh, like he he was a smoker and um, I know he eats cheeseburgers all the time. Yep. And uh, boy, hates exercise. And, you know, here's all these other things that could have killed him. So probably it's not the bullet in his head. Uh, now, now, it's obviously not that stark of an example because we are talking about soot as an air pollutant. But and then there's other, other air pollutants. Yeah. So, you know, it's like other know. suspects. Yeah. yeah. And those they could be way worse. Right. Which my yeah. bullet in the head example doesn't really uh, doesn't really um, allow for. Okay. OK. Anyway, the argument doesn't seem like. Super terrible, but it's they got problems. They yeah. could be right. But I definitely go in armed with the objection of just because there were other air pollutants there doesn't mean that soot doesn't cause this disease. Absolutely. Okay. Question 17. Which one of the following statements, if true, most weakens the argument? 
you know, really hear anything that makes soot look like it would cause this particular ailment. Like, you know, a, a good one would be like soot is the most toxic of all known air pollutants. That would be an excellent weakener because it would be like, well, yeah, yeah, there were all these other air pollutants. But if soot is the very worst one of them by far, then your logic now starts to look stupid. But weaken questions tend to have a pretty broad range of answers, right? There's a lot of different ways that we could weaken this argument. Sure. But I think the key here is focusing on making soot more likely. That's soot's our guy. We're trying to convict soot. Now, yeah. How do we how do we convict soot here? OK, answer A. In cities where there are high concentrations of many air pollutants, but little, if any soot in the air, the frequency of the ailment is just as high on average as it is in the cities where there are large amounts of soot in the air. Uh, boy, that's a mouthful, huh? Um, in, I, I really have to reread it. Uh, yeah, here, I'll, it, I'll read it again slower. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In cities where there are high concentrations of many air pollutants, but little, if any, soot in the air. So, uh, okay, so places where all these other air pollutants exist, but hardly any soot. Um, you could weaken the argument by saying this disease, this ailment still occurs a lot. Um, well, and, and th what oh, this sorry, says we're trying to convict soot. Yeah, yeah. So this okay, actually so the strengthens way, the argument, doesn't it? That would have strengthened the argument. Well, what I wanted to say. OK, so I haven't actually looked at the second half of that answer yet. Yes. I'm just stopping with, OK, in cities where there are all these other air pollutants, but not soot. If I wanted to convict soot, I would like to show that this ailment does not exist in those places. If it doesn't exist there, then it's probably not these other air pollutants. And yeah. It probably is soot. And once but soot left the scene, then the crime also left. Yeah. A does the opposite of that. It says, no, there's actually just as much of this ailment. And so now you've got the ailment happening without soot even present. That does tend to defend soot from being the culprit. So a is uh, strengthening the argument. Yep. B, if the ailment rarely occurs except in cities which there are large amounts of soot in the air. I wouldn't read that one any further. Yes. How come? Well, because I don't know whether the ailment rarely occurs except in cities in which there are large amounts of soot in the air. Yeah, it says if, right? Uh, it's like, yeah, it's oh, the conditionality okay. there. It's just like, OK, but is that true? I look at the record. I don't have evidence that that's true. And then anything that happens after the comma, I have no idea whether it's true or not. So, Nathan, are you saying that anytime an answer starts with if, we can just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it's a good reason to be skeptical mm -hmm. on a strengthen or a weaken question. You know, any of these answer based um, question types, I'm not saying no, it does not make it wrong. Yeah. But in order for it to do anything, you have to be able to show that the sufficient condition is true. And uh, here, I don't know if the ailment rarely occurs except in cities in which there are large amounts of soot in the air. It, it could be that they that it does occur all the time in places without soot in the air. That's unknown. So then, yeah, the the, the necessary condition of B, I don't even have to read it because I, I already don't know whether the sufficient condition is true. So moving on. Cool. So A is wrong. B is wrong. C. 
In each of the cities where the, there are large amounts of soot in the air, but little other air pollution, the frequency of the ailment is at least as high as it is anywhere else. Oh, guilty. Yeah. I mean, that, we, like, if you show that to the jury, you're trying to hang soot for the crime of uh, causing this particular ailment. And you're able to bring into your case that there's all these places where there are large amounts of soot, no other air pollution, and this ailment is still there. This defense that they were giving here falls apart. Yeah, you know, it doesn't actually convict soot, but it definitely blows this defensive soot out of the water because they're like, oh, but there's all these other high concentrations and you come in with other other air pollutants and you come in with like, yeah, except for all these five cities over here where there's just soot and still the ailment and none of this other bullshit. You know, you're trying to throw all these other suspects, but it's like, well, they can't have done it over there, though, because they don't exist over there. That's a good weakener. Yeah, it is a good weakener. It's probably correct. And you know what? Um, it's funny because I didn't take time to mention this, but there is this weakness in the evidence that I did notice, and it ties into this answer. The evidence in the argument says, in cities where there are large amounts of soot in the air, mm. there are also unusually, or usually, there are usually also high concentrations of many other air pollutants. I just noticed that because the evidence is about a small set of cities, right? The ones in which there are large amounts of soot. It doesn't talk about any other cities. So what about medium amounts of soot? What about a little bit of soot? What happens there? And answer is choice C. Um, well, actually, wait a sec. See, yeah, I understand what you're saying. C, C though, just uh, says, yeah, okay, but there are other cities where there are large amounts of soot in the air but little other air pollution. And we still see the ailment over there. So it's not actually oh. exploiting that weakness in the argument. It's but, uh, sorry. It's exploiting the usually in the premise, not, not to get too much into this, but yeah, there are true. usually these high amounts of pollutants, but C is saying, well, not, not always. And we still have the problem. So that's yeah. not good. Right. If that would have said always, then C wouldn't even have been possible. Yep, exactly. Okay. Cool. Answer choice D. If high concentrations of many different pollutants in a city's air are correlated with a high frequency of the ailment among that city's population. Um, I don't know whether that's true. I know that there's a positive correlation between soot and the ailment. I have no idea yes. whether there is a correlation between these other pollutants and the ailment. So D's wrong for the exact same reason as B. It's another answer starting with if, and it's wrong again on this weekend question, but it's not the if that makes it wrong. It's that we can't prove the sufficient condition of, you know, that if clause, we can't prove it based on the record. So then it can't have any effect on this argument. If anyone was tempted by this, they probably chose it because they thought there was a correlation between these other air pollutants and the ailment. But we just, we only know that they're usually there in these few cities that they talked about saying the that they ones. are usually there when soot is there doesn't mean anything about whether they themselves have a correlation with this ailment because Absolutely. they themselves could be present in a hundred thousand other places where there is no soot and there is no ailment there there could be a negative correlation between these pollutants and this particular ailment as far as we know yep answer e in cities in which there are high concentrations of many air pollutants there are generally also high concentrations of other forms of pollutions that 
pollution that are very likely to contribute causally to the ailment. Uh, so that's another strengthener. Um, if you're trying to get soot off the hook, E says, hey, not only are these other criminals, air pollutants there, when soot's there, we got these other suspects. But when we have those other suspects, we also have this other thing that's like a documented killer. Yep. You know, because the other thing here is vi- we, however they know this, it's very likely to contribute causally to the ailment, <laughs> which is like, damn, that's real good evidence. It's like a known, yeah, a known um, killer <laughs> who has specifically killed this kind of Yeah, individual. attacked this person before, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It, you know, we know that they, we, this, we, we have evidence of violence between these other forms of pollution, what radiation or whatever they are. The other form of pollutant has definitely caused this ailment in the past. And that's an even better, you know, like uh, distraction to try to convince the jury that uh, it wasn't soot. By the way, so the answer is C. I was curious what answer was most commonly chosen that was wrong. Uh, And it's B. It's an answer choice you didn't even read entirely. Yeah, the. I didn't look at the if and immediately know it was wrong. I read up to the comma yep. in that if clause. And I said, wait, if what now? If the ailment rarely occurs except in cities in which there are large amounts of soot in the air. But is that true? I don't know whether that's true. And I at the po- at that point, I was done. Done. And right, I did some the same people thing as chose G. this. <laughs> this was the most commonly chosen wrong answer. Yeah. So that means people are reading the entire thing and possibly even debating it. Oh, of course. Yeah. And that's a that's a, uh, you know, a, a, a poster child for lately in class. I've been saying, hey, if you narrowed it down to two, that's actually bad. It, it's it's because I don't do it. I never do that mm-hmm. in real life. I'm going to have zero answers sometimes. But it's so rare that I have two at the same time that I think could like both you've be t- correct. kept two open. <laughs> Uh, uh-uh. that's just, that's just not You're the way you want to be too much. Yeah. yeah because be, precisely because you want to be hitting the eject button on both B and D here halfway through, mm-hmm. as soon as you know that that sufficient condition is unknown, you just go, well, then that's not going to weaken the argument. Yeah. And contrast that with somebody else who narrowed it down to B and C you're just, you're, you're, you're given B way too much respect. I mean, you don't ha- it's not a contender if you understand it. So you need to do a better job of understanding it, which is to slow, which is slowing down. You know, like I take more time on the, that first part of that, the sufficient condition. I take more time on that, realize that it's unknown. And then I get to spend zero time on the rest of it, thinking about the totality of it and comparing it to another answer choice. I'm just not doing any of those time wasting kinds of things. Yeah. Be LSAT famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. Please check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 375 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>